special speaker this morning. Hey, good morning, church. My name's Craig, and uh, great to have you with us. So, yeah, John, come on up. John is our guest speaker this morning, and I can categorically say we've actually had a couple of videos uh, from John earlier this year. If you were here with us in January, um, he preached as part of a summer series that was shared throughout the Baptist churches, and then more recently uh, on Cary Sunday, August the 7th, we were privileged to have a message that John shared uh, via video. And so um, meeting him in person, and I mean, it's up to you to make your judgment, but I genuinely think he's more handsome in person than on the screen. <laughs> And no one would dare differ with that. <laughs> but uh, we've had a great time. Um, you turned up yesterday and uh, we actually went for a bike ride around the river track, if you know it. And um, I managed to keep up, even though I'd given him the bike with the smallest wheels. And I'm very pleased that you're not in a, a cast and I'm not in a, you know, a full neck brace or anything. So it's just great to have you with us and, and sharing with us. Why don't you tell us, um, just for a sort of by way of introduction, a little bit about you, maybe your family, um, kind of who you are. Great, thanks Craig. Yeah, kia ora koutou. hi everyone. Um, so my, uh, I, I'm a child of Auckland, very much born in, well I wasn't born in Melbourne actually, okay. uh, Austri- but to Kiwi parents, yep. I hasten to add, um, and, and raised in Auckland, married to Lorraine. Um, we have nearly 25 years, we have three teenage Children, uh, Emma, Sophie, Daniel, uh, 19, 17, nearly 15. Um, uh, yeah, in a, a former life, was a lawyer for a, for a, a short season and, um, and really was travelling overseas on a bit of an OE and, and realised that I didn't want to return to Aotearoa, New Zealand and give the rest of my life mm. to being a commercial litigator um, and didn't know what to do. And I just, I really kind of was almost like a voice in my head I think the Lord saying, you've always thought about studying theology, going deep into the scriptures, mm-hmm. making sense of your faith. Why don't you do that? Mm. Now's the time. You're in your mid to late 20s, yeah. you don't have any commitments, um, you're not married, um, and I just thought, okay, that's the, that's the obvious next step. So I ended up at Kerry, and, wow. um, and then suddenly, in the course of my studies at Kerry, one year led to two years, which led to three years, and then ultimately I was training for pastoral ministry and, um, and have spent time in pastoral leadership in, at a Baptist church, and, and then via some more study ended up at Kerry on staff. Uh, so, yeah, I'm so the you're, there, So but. you're the principal at Kerry Baptist mm-hmm. College. If you're not sure, Kerry Baptist College is the theological training space that supports the Baptist churches in New yep. Zealand, right? Yeah, ni- 96 and years ago. Our family of churches set up Kerry to, wow. to train. So that's a real history that you're part of, a real heritage. Um, what's sort of your areas of specialty? Yeah, um, so for me personally, if I'm not involved with leading the college, uh, it's, it's very much teaching history. Uh, you love your history, sure don't do. you? Sure um, do, yeah. So Christian history, the history of the gospel in Aotearoa, um, those kinds of subjects, the Reformation and onwards. So history, you know, what's the, what's the Māori proverb we we Walk, walk into the future looking backwards or something to that effect. It's as we remember our, our whakapapa, our story as followers of Jesus, that we are strengthened and equipped and inspired to mm. step faithfully into the future that he has for us. So I love history. Um, homiletics, mm-hmm. which is Fancy teaching, name for? Preaching. Okay, preaching. cool. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, and spirituality, Christian spirituality and, and pastoral ministry. They're awesome. the kind of areas. So quite yeah. comprehensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, you know, 
for us here, some of us may have had some experience with Bible college, others may have had no experience at all. I mean, do you have to be a, an elite scholar to, to connect with a Bible college? Absolutely not. I mean, that would be, that's, that's, that's a myth, right? You just, right. People think, oh, I'm just not smart enough. Yep. Um, I work alongside someone who is just a, a, just a wonderful gift to the church. He, he came to Kerry as a motor mechanic who had left school early, never dreamt of going to university, mm. and came to, came to Christ, came to faith in Christ through an Alpha course, and thought, I want, to, I want to be strengthened, enriched, I want to go deeper in my faith, I want to make sense of it, I want to be equipped to be a witness for Jesus wherever he leads me. Never for a moment thought he was being led mm. into pastoral ministry, um, and so, but came to Kerry and was discipled in his faith through studying the scriptures as someone who wasn't super smart, mm, he didn't think. Mm. Um, turns out that he was so transformed by his study of the scriptures that he ended up becoming a pastor too um, and is now on staff at Kerry. Yeah, yeah. wow. um, but no, some of, some of the most wonderful stories that I can tell are people who come to Kerry. And when I say come to Kerry, yeah. like here, you know, come to Kerry here. Kerry yeah. basically comes to you and you learn through the college, wherever you're located, it's right, right across New Zealand. Yep. So, online um, and all those sorts online, of things. Online, hybrid, far, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So Ian, studying through yes. Kerry, right down here. That's studying right. through Kerry, yeah. yeah, doing a good job. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, so we have those you know, that, are, that love their, their academics on yep. the one end, but yep. then we have those who, yeah, they wouldn't claim to be intellectuals at all, but they just love Jesus, yep. and they want to love him more. And they want to put that faith, that love into practice yeah, yeah. wherever people are at. So, yeah. so I just, I'm, I'm supervising a student at the moment who's a radiographer, radiologist, a medical specialist who does stuff with, <laughs> with machines, and he, um, again, he came to Kerry just because he's, I'm, I've got my calling, I've got my career, but, yeah. but I just want to make sense of my faith, and I want to go deeper into the, into the scriptures and understand you know, the gospel more fully for the sake of my life, my family, and, and my work. And, um, and I think that yeah. would be the real benefit, isn't it? You don't have to end up becoming a you know, pastoral leader or, no. or, a, or a Bible scholar or anything. No. I mean, maybe that's an option, but the fact is it helps us understand to dig deeper and to yeah. really kind of flesh out our faith yeah. and to follow in those footsteps of Jesus. Exactly. And some people, this is, this is my experience, some people need the structure of doing just a, just a course here you know, mm. or there um, and, and, and kind of... I'm going to be accountable, I'm going to gather with some others online, or I'm just going to engage with some people in, you know, in the online space. I'm going to learn over the next 12 or 15 weeks, and that's going to hold me accountable to this mm. season of learning. And at the end of it, they go, I'm so glad I did that. But if they hadn't committed to doing a course, yeah. they probably wouldn't have done anything yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. So Good taste. Good. It is good. All right, well, how about I pray for you, and then you can um, homiletic us or something similar. <laughs> Thank you. God, thanks for this day and the sunshine, and um, as we've worshipped you and we've tried to honour you with our words, we honour you with our brains too, and our hands and our hearts, and as John opens your text and shares with us the words of Jesus, we just pray that um, he would be quickened and we would be refreshed and inspired and renewed and restored by your grace and your truth. In your name, amen. Amen. Thanks, John. Amen. Thanks, Craig. How are you doing? Good? I, uh, I, I ask that kind of seriously 
because a few weeks ago I came across some really interesting research that was done in New Zealand by the New Zealand Mental Health Foundation. I don't know if any of you have seen that research that was done. Really interesting. They studied a thousand Kiwis, surveyed over a thousand Kiwis right across New Zealand, and they asked them the question, how are you doing? On a scale of one to five, if one is very poor, and five is, I'm off the charts, I'm amazing, how would you rate your, your well-being? Four. <laughs> how, would you rate your, how would you rate your, technically, the, the language they used, your emotional well-being? How are you doing? Do you know what Kiwi said? Right across New Zealand, all of those people, this very intensive, rigorous study, 36% of New Zealanders, over one in three of us, say that we are doing poor or very poor. So, if we are anything like the community across New Zealand that we represent, a third of us are doing really badly at the moment. That figure, 36%, one in three, that was up from 27%, or just over one in four, the year, the year before that. So the, the graph looks like this. The number of New Zealanders that are, that are really struggling with high levels of anxiety and stress is, has been growing considerably over the last two, three years. Now, I guess that's no surprise to some of us, eh? When you think about what we've been going through over the last two or three years, what's there been? Uh, well, there's been social isolation, periods of that. In Auckland, we've had months and months of that on end. So social isolation, financial difficulty for many of us in our society, relational breakdown, vaccine mandates versus no vaccine mandates, all of that just as one you know, expression of the, the relational difficulties in our communities. Ongoing uncertainty, you know, the, the, what can you plan for, what's going to happen, our, our, our lives have been so profoundly disrupted over the last few years. So it's no surprise that many, many Kiwis, when they're asked the question, how are you doing, say, I'm weary and I'm burdened and I'm really quite stressed. So how are you doing? Good. <laughs> um, do you know, when it comes to things like mental health and emotional health, seeing a really good medical professional, clinical psychologist, therapist, that, that's all very good and very important. But the Royal College of GPs in New Zealand, they have recently reported that a third of all visits to a doctor at the moment, a third of all visits relates to emotional or mental health, not physical health. So just the reality is, Many people, and many of the people that you know, are struggling, are weary and they're burdened. If we were to ask Jesus, the greatest doctor of all times, if we would ask him today uh, what he might say to us about the state of our souls, the burdens that we're carrying, the weariness, the stress that some of us are feeling, I wonder what he would say. Well, he does have something to say to us. And, uh, and it's in Matthew 11. So if you've got a Bible, would you turn to Matthew 11? If you don't, that's fine. It's going to be up on the, on the screen here. But let me read to you some, some words from Matthew 11. I'm going to start reading at verse 25. 
Matthew 11, verse 25. These are amazing words. Hear the word of God. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for causing these words to be recorded. And thank you for causing these words to be preserved so that we could hear them today. We hear in the name of Jesus, and so we ask, Spirit of Jesus, that you would help us to hear these words afresh. Would you speak through them what you once said and what you want to say again today, here and now? Speak to us and give us the grace to hear and receive. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I reckon in these words, I don't know, anyone familiar with these words? Put your hands up if you've heard these words before. They're, they're reasonably well known. In these words, I think Jesus is giving us a kind of antidote. A vaccine, if you will. Certainly, certainly some kind of prescription for the weariness and the, and, the, and the burdens that many of us are carrying. I think these are really, really timely words for us today. So could we listen to them carefully? Let's, let's just work slowly through what Jesus is saying in this passage. And I don't know if you do this very often here at Alexandra or at, um, in Dunedin. At Kavishim, but let's just work through what Jesus says line by line. Let's take what he says seriously. So first of all, what does he say here? His opening line is, what? Come. Let's start at verse 25, where Jesus addresses the crowds. He turns to us. He says, come. The first word. I once remember seeing an, a big advertisement. It was a sign outside of a local church. They had a, you know, like a, quite a main street frontage, and so they used, used the advantage of that to put a big sign up. And the sign said, God's favorite word is come. That's interesting. I've often thought about that. Like there are some words that God uses a lot when he addresses his people in Scripture. You know, there's, there's go, Go and make disciples of all nations. We know as you go, make disciples of people. Uh, there's give. 
You know, give your life away. Not just your tithes and your offerings, as important as they are, but give your whole life away for me, Jesus says. And there's, there's learn. He says, learn. I want you to learn and, and grow. I want you to teach and I want you to, to share and I want you to forgive. But his favorite word is come. Come to me, Jesus says. He calls us to himself in these words. And I don't know if you've ever just glanced over these words quickly when you've read them, but, but Daryl Johnson, who's a North American uh, scholar, theologian, to whom I'm very indebted for my understanding on this passage, he says these words. Listen to this. He says, Christianity, when you think about it, it began on Palestinian soil as a relationship with a person. And then it, it moved on to Greek soil and it became a philosophy. And then it moved on to Roman soil and it became an institution. Then it moved on to British soil. It moved in many directions, but he's just following one particular lineage. It moved on to British soil, and it became a culture. It moved then on to American soil, and it became a business, an enterprise. And, and right, I, I mean, I think he's tracked this quite well. And then he says, now, when you think about it, Christianity is a philosophy. He says it's the most coherent and all-encompassing of all philosophies. And Christianity is an institution. It's the most redemptive and life-giving of all institutions, or it's supposed to be. And Christianity is a culture. It's the most inclusive and transformative of all cultures. And Christianity is an enterprise. It's the grandest imaginable. It's the enterprise of restoring the entire universe. But... Christianity, he says, is essentially a person. Come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened. All, all 36% of you, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened. Or as some translations say, overburdened. Now, this is really interesting. Some of you might not find it particularly interesting uh, by the looks on your faces, but, but bear with me. I, I, in, 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 English, we, in English, when you read in a language like this and you're trying to make sense of it and you're breaking it down, I mean, you, you come across verbs, action words. They function in English in two different voices. Now, I can see some of your voices, your faces really are kind of blanking out on me. So please, I'm sorry, you didn't, I know, you didn't come to church for an English grammar lesson. I know that. So my apologies. But this is really important, I think, to understanding what Jesus is saying in these words. So would you bear with me just for a moment longer? In English, verbs, action words, they have two voices, the active and the, and the passive. But in Greek... The language in which this was originally written, there are three voices, the active, the passive, and what's known as the middle voice. So let me give you an example. Active, I love. Passive, I am loved. The middle voice, I love myself. These words, all you who are overburdened, are in the middle voice. 
So literally, and, and I would argue a better translation would be, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and have overburdened yourselves. Come to me, all you who are weary, and not just those of you who are overburdened, but he's saying all you who have overburdened yourselves. Very often, excessive weariness is our own doing. Isn't that right? Or is it just me? I mean, this is the story of my life. So often, I look to my own abilities or resources to try and address or face the, the challenges that are coming my way. So often I, I look to my own performance or effort or achievement to try and build a sense of identity. So often, if I'm honest, I look, I, I look to other frail, finite human beings who are just like me, I look to them to give me the sense of significance or security or status that I so deeply crave. And it's wearying. It's exhausting. And maybe it's just me. Some of you don't look as though you can relate to that at all. Let me give you an example. You might relate to this, and, and some of you might not, because my apologies. This is, um, this is something I read a, a wee while ago, and it stuck with me, so I've kept hold of it. And, and it's just that it was an interview in a magazine that was done with the pop star Madonna. Now, I can see some of you, um, you know, you won't really you know, vibe with Madonna. She's from another generation. But um, when I was, you know, in my teenage years, she was the, you know, she was the pop star of Pop stars, you know, she was it. And, um, and she was interviewed once, and this is what she said. I mean, she had a remarkably long career. I mean, she's still active, you know, in, in, in a way. Um, but this is what she said in the interview. She said this, I have an iron will. And all of my will has been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and un un uninteresting. Again and again, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. My, her language struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Much of the time, excessive weariness is our own doing. So what's wearying you at the moment? Even though you might be good and report on Sunday morning that you're good, what's burdening you? What's overburdening you? How have you maybe burdened, overburdened yourselves. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and have overburdened yourselves. And what does he promise? He says, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Have you ever thought about what Jesus is referring to here? What does he mean by rest? What does it mean to say, I will give you rest? Where does that take you in your mind? For me, it takes me right back to the beginning of the biblical story, right at the beginning where, where God is creating the world. And it says, Genesis chapter 2, 
Verse 3, God blessed the seventh day at the completion of his creation. On the seventh day, he blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on that day, he rested. He rested from all his work. What does it mean to say that God rested? God kind of just ceased from all activity? God slipped into neutral, so to speak? No. God rested in the context of the Scriptures. God rested means that God entered into the reason that he created the world in the first place. You think about it. In, in, the, in, the, in the wonderful creation song in Genesis 1 and 2, there's this recurring refrain, and it goes like this. It was evening and morning. It was evening and morning, day one. It was evening and morning, day two. It was evening and morning, day three, day four, day five, day six. But on day seven, there's no evening and morning because day seven has no end. Day seven in the creation account is the reason that God created the world. So God rested means that God entered into the reason for which he created the world. He entered into the, the wholeness that he intends for all creation. So, come to me, Jesus says in these words, all you who are weary and have overburdened yourselves, and I will give you rest. I will lead you into the wholeness for which I made you. Isn't that good? I, 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 will, I will make you whole. I will, I will give you the wholeness that, you were, that I intend for you. That's what he offers us. So how do we get there? How do, you, how do you receive that offer? Well, let's read on. What does Jesus say next in this prescription for those of us who are weary and burdened? He says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Really? Like taking a yoke upon us will rest us? Like that's a bizarre vaccine for weariness of soul. When you think about it, what's a yoke? A yoke is, is a harness placed on the, on the neck of an, of an ox to make it pull a heavy plow or a loaded cart, right? In the ancient, in the ancient world, in the ancient Near East, in Jesus' day, yokes were placed on the shoulders of human beings, prisoners and captives, slaves, to make them pull heavy burdens. So a yoke is a symbol of oppression, or it's a metaphor for hard, heavy, tiring work. So what's going on here? Why does Jesus say, take, take a yoke and put it on yourself? Well, I think there's, there's a clue here where he says, take my yoke upon you. Jesus is saying that we're weary because we're wearing the wrong yokes, most of us. I mean, the, the question is not, when you woke up this morning, you didn't think, Will I wear a yoke today or not? Everyone wears a yoke. That's the human condition. The question is, whose yoke will you wear? And Jesus says, wear my yoke. Which, of course, begs the question, so what is that yoke? What is Jesus' yoke? In his day, when Jesus was speaking these words, the Jewish rabbis used to talk about the yoke of the law. And so a number of commentators still today believe that what Jesus is talking about here is his new law, his new 
Torah, as he articulated it on the Sermon in the, on the, in the, sermon on the Mount and other places. Is that what Jesus is referring to here? Take, take my law, take my commands and, and, and carry those. Is that what he's saying? In this, in this passage? I don't think so. I mean, context is so important. Look at the context. Whenever you're reading literature, of course, context shapes your understanding, and the scriptures are no different. According to Matthew, in this passage, when Jesus talks about his law, his, his, his yoke, he's talking about his relationship with the one that he calls Father. I mean, look at, look at the context. Verse 25. Just a little bit, you know, we, we, we started at the point of verse 25 when we read it. This is, what, this is what it says. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. What's Jesus doing there? He's talking to his Father. He's, he's praying He's, he's worshipping. He's expressing trust in his Father's wisdom and sovereignty. That's the context. And then read on. Verse 27. What happens then? He says this. All things have been committed to be by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. What's Jesus doing here? He's talking about his relationship with the Father. He's rejoicing in that relationship, celebrating it. This relationship that's, that he says is, is really special and, and intimate and, and exclusive in a sense. Very, very committed relationship that God the Son has enjoyed with God the Father and God the Spirit from before the beginning of time. And from within the circle of that relationship... From within that, that intimate communion, Jesus pivots, oh, that's, sorry, that's a much overused word, Jesus swivels, turns out to the crowds and says, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is the relationship that I enjoy with the Father. And I'm calling you, inviting you to share in this relationship. The intimacy that I have enjoyed with God the Father from before the beginning of creation, it's yours. It can be yours. It's yours for the taking. Come in. Come right in. Don't you think that's breathtaking? Some, one person thinks it's breathtaking. Uh, look, the, the, there's a, a Scottish theologian. Thomas Torrance, reflecting on this invitation, he said, when you think about these words, we have been given, we have been given entry into the inner fellowship of God's life. Or, or to use another image, we've been given the most exclusive VIP pass in the history of the cosmos. My daughters went to uh, the Billie, Billie Eilish, is it Billie Eilish? don't follow my, you know, my pop stars quite as I should, but Billie Eilish was performing in, in Auckland recently and, and my daughters decided to go and they were, one was out in the, the sort of the seated area and one was a bit closer in the standing area. Um, but what they really would have liked would have been to have been backstage 
with a, with a, a VIP pass to meet with Billie Eilish after the concert. We've been given the most exclusive VIP pass in the history of the world to participate in the very inner fellowship of God's life. I think that's amazing. Jesus says, come in. That's the invitation. Come to me. Come and share my yoke. Share the relationship that I have with the Father. And, uh, and he says, I will give you rest because I'm gentle and humble in heart. I'm gentle and humble in heart. Some time ago, I, I, was, um, as I came across this really interesting story about a study that was done in North America on the patience exercised by people in car parks. I don't know, I don't know why people do studies like this. Like this was a, a massive, you know, heavily funded study through Princeton or Harvard or wherever. Um, and they, they, seriously, they seriously measured how long it takes the average person to leave a car park. Guess how long it takes, and I think this is significant, guess how long it takes the average person, when you've left the shopping centre, you've got to your car, right, how long does it take the average person to put their groceries away, get into the front seat, shut the door, put their seatbelt on, start the engine, check the rearview mirror, and get out of their car park? On average, 32 seconds. 32 seconds. But, but, listen to this, if someone is waiting for your car park, then guess how long it takes? Just a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer. Not 32 seconds, 39 seconds. You know, I just, I'll just check, just, you know, just adjust my, my seatbelt one more time. They can, they can wait. And then, and this is where it got really interesting, if the person that was waiting for your car park honked their horn, just gave you a little toot, just to say, hey, I'm waiting, come on. Then guess how long it took? Just a little bit longer again. 42 seconds. I think this is really interesting. Harvard or Princeton or Yale, whoever it was, has done us a service here. They've just brilliantly, I think, evidenced the reality that, as Martin Luther said, humans are people, animals, curved in on themselves. There's something fundamentally self-centered in the human heart. We, are, we, we have an innate tendency to prioritize ourselves over those around us, don't we? Yeah, we love you know, our, our, those closest to us, and we can be very altruistic and charitable, but fundamentally, fundamentally, we have a tendency to exalt ourselves over those around us. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. He says, come to me and take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart. I won't berate you or scorn you or reject you for getting yourself into such a state. I know why you chase after other gods. I know why you choose to wear other yokes. I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. Come to me. Learn from me. And then he says, you'll find rest. For my yoke is easy. And this is the last line. For my, and my burden is light. So if, if his yoke is his relationship with his father, what's his burden? Have you ever thought about what his burden is that he's referring to here? There is a burden. He's not saying you won't have a burden. He's saying, wear my yoke and experience my burden because my burden is light. So what's his burden? If his yoke is his relationship with the one he calls father, his burden 
is his desire to please his Father. You think about the Gospels. In in John's Gospel, Jesus says, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I I hear my Father speaking. Or, or Or in Luke's Gospel, when Jesus is talking to his own human family, he says, didn't you know that I had to be about my Father's business? And so reflecting on these words, Daryl Johnson says this, Jesus lives his whole career, if you can use that word of Jesus, his career, Jesus uses, um, lives his whole career for an audience of one. He is driven, again, if we can use a word like that for Jesus, he is driven to please the Father. Nothing more, nothing less. So yes, the, 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 the cries of the crowd, the needs of the crowd, they aroused Jesus' compassion. We see that. We, we know that. But they didn't set his agenda. He's not driven to please all the needs of the crowd. He's not struggling, driven to please the religious leaders or Pharaoh or Herod or whoever it was. His burden, his, his, his priority, his goal is to please his Father. And he says that burden is light. That burden, he says, is, is really light. That's interesting because just a little earlier, I mean, stick with me, a little earlier in, in verse 20 of this chapter, so just before where we started reading, Matthew says that, that Jesus has been teaching and, and, and living amongst the towns of Chorazin and Capernaum and Bethsaida, and they have all decided to reject his ministry. They say that he's in league with the devil, some of them are saying that he's, he's lost his mind, he's just bonkers to say some of the things that he says, and they say he deserves to die. In fact, at one point, the crowds pick up rocks and they're going to stone him to death. His, his ministry, his life's work, it seems, is a failure. To all appearances, he's failed. And what is he doing? I mean, he, he, this, it's, like, it's like he's coaching the All Blacks during their worst ever run in, uh, in performance. You know, the players just aren't clicking. The results aren't coming. The fans are beginning to get restless and, and leave. The, the, the funders, the investors are, are thinking about pulling their, their money. The press, the, the public, they've got it in for him. And what do we find Jesus doing? What's he doing? He's rejoicing. He's praising. He's delighting in his Father because his burden, his priority is to please his Father. And that burden, he says, is light. So let me ask you again. If you were really honest, don't shout out your answer. What's burdening you at the moment? What are you carrying? What's wearying your soul? Henry Nouwen was um, a Catholic priest and a, and, a, and a theologian who was once struggling with a number of burdens. And he was in Rome, on, on, happened to be in that city, and he had the opportunity, because he was in Rome, to meet with Mother Teresa of Calcutta who was also in the city at that time. Do you know Mother Teresa of Calcutta? The sort of saintly woman of God who spent her life caring for the people dying in the streets of Calcutta. And so uh, 
uh, Henry Nowen thought, oh, I, I'm going to go, and if, I'll make an appointment and I'll share with her some of my struggles. And so he poured out something of his story. And if you know his story, he carried some really deep, secret burdens. And after, after sharing these struggles with Mother Teresa, she paused and she said to him, spend one hour a day adoring your Lord and never do anything that you know to be wrong and you'll be fine. Spend one hour a day, one hour, one hour a day adoring your Lord and, and don't do anything that you know to be wrong and you'll be fine. Look, hear me, you know, I need to say this again. With mental and emotional health, doctors and therapists and counsellors, they absolutely have a very important place. We should consult them. But when we consult Jesus, the greatest doctor of all, he says that the ultimate antidote for anxiety and stress and weariness of soul, the ultimate antidote, antidote, is an invitation. Come to me, he says. All you who are weary with the harsh realities of life. All you who have overburdened yourselves trying to please and impress everyone. Take my yoke upon you. Join me in the relationship that I share and enjoy with the Father. Enter into that intimacy. It's yours. And make it your greatest goal. Make it, make it your burden to please the Father above all else. Do that, and you will live and work and play out of a soul at rest. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for these words, this invitation that you speak to us. And Jesus, we, we acknowledge that so often, and for many of us right now, we carry burdens that are weighing us down. And Lord, we confess, uh, we're sorry that, that we don't look to you and walk with you and take your yoke upon us like you offer us, and we we say we're sorry for that. And, and Lord Jesus, we do want to experience the rest that only you can give. So we come to you now. We hear your words of invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, 
and we say, yes, we're coming. And Lord Jesus, we bring to you our burdens, our anxieties, our efforts to to build our own identity or secure our own significance. Lord, we lay them at your feet. And we, we kneel at your feet. And we ask that you would take these burdens and that you would fit onto us your yoke and that you would please help us to walk with you, to enter into the relationship that you have with the Father. Give us your Spirit. And would you give us the grace by your Spirit to make it our number one goal, our priority in life, our burden to please the Father above all else. Help us to do that, we pray, Jesus and fill us with your rest. Give us the wholeness for which you made us. And Lord, through us, would you help us? Through us, Lord, would you, would you share and extend that rest and that wholeness to others? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.